Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about building wealth, how you can get a lot of uh, money, results, and anything else. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Jay Papazan. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me on your show. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's a big pleasure because I want to learn more about that. And for me, uh, of course, it's important to be happy, but... Uh, when you have money, when you have financial freedom, you can go ahead with happiness as well because you don't need to care a lot about many things to do. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about building wealth. Sure. Uh, I'm actually an English-French major, so it's I, I never would have predicted I would be where I am. But the first mm -hmm. half of my life, I just loved books. I loved to read. I pursued a career in publishing and worked at HarperCollins Publishers. I met my wife. We lived, lived abroad for a short period of time and then settled in Austin, Texas, where I took a job with a very small real estate company at the time called Keller Williams. And back then, there were 27 employees and 6,700 agents in just 14 states, I believe, back then. Mm -hmm. Today, uh, I don't even know. We have over a thousand employees and close to two hundred thousand associates nice. in fifty countries. And the reason I'm still here is instead of writing newsletters, I got to write books with the founder Gary Keller. So that thread that pulled through is a love of the written word and helping people with uh, with what we can do. And I found a great partner in Gary, and we've launched several businesses together now. Mm -hmm. Love it, love it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, before we start, just tell more about your background. I love reading books. You know, it's my passion. And I remember the time when I overwatched TV. Uh, you know, uh, I think if you want to uh, read books, if you have no time, what the first thing what you need to do to throw away your TV, you know, to forget about this and uh, pay attention by reading books because... Uh, I often get complaints uh, from my audience. They have no time to read books. Uh, guys, you if you have time to watch TV, you have time to read books. Can you tell about your loving books and how they can help you, you know, to go ahead? Well, the I mean, writing books and reading books both take a habit. And mm -hmm. it's funny, you can't write books without reading them. So I set a goal every year of reading 50 books. Mm -hmm. I've never hit the goal. And I refuse to cheat by reading really short ones. So I, I look at what I need to learn about and what I want to continue learning about. Money is one of those topics. I try to read about four or five books on financial wealth every year just so I can continue to stay abreast of what I need to know. And I just chip away at it. I interviewed a guy named Ryan Holiday. Do you know Ryan Holiday? Yeah, yeah. I, He's I great. About him. Yeah. He, he used to, at that time, he was famous for reading a book a day. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, I read a lot, but how do you read a book a day? And so I like watching TV. That's mm -hmm. where I unwind. That's where I, my, my work brain will turn off if I'm watching a, a soccer match or a football match, if I'm watching a great movie with my wife. But there's lots and lots of time during the day that we spend doing little things when we could be reading. So mm -hmm. I would just tell you, 
whatever it is, I, everybody has time to read a lot, a lot more than they currently are. But if we end up breaking down the principles of that book behind me, the one thing I would tell people, if you want to be a better reader, read about 10, 15 pages a day. Do it mm -hmm. first thing in the morning before you do anything else, before you look at your email, before you look at social media, read 15 pages and then say, victory, it only takes about 15 minutes to read 15 pages. Mm -hmm. And if you did that, you would read 12 books a year. Nice. So nice. I just would focus on how do I become the kind of person that reads a book a month or a book a week? And what habit do I need to form where that just becomes automatic? I just focus on the 15 minutes every morning. I tell you, honestly, I read for about an hour every single morning. Mm -hmm. Do it early, got my coffee. It's before the rest of the world's going crazy. So um, I'll answer, I think I heard two questions. I had to go down the path of like, I write books. I want people to be able to read them or listen to them. It's just a habit. You cho mm -hmm. choose to make that happen regardless of everything else. And you do it early so that you knock that, you check that box early on. If you wait till you're going to bed, I got two kids. If I tried to read in bed, all I would do is fall asleep with the book on my chest. That's just not how it works, <laughs> right? Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I usually use uh, audio experience as well. For example, I can listen to books for when I am walking with my dogs or driving to any places. Why not? Yeah, you can uh, listen to books. It's the same experience. Uh, yeah, uh, to get it's, new uh, skills. It sticks. And a lot of entrepreneurs, like, they're going to listen to it on two times speed or whatever. Like, they just have to. It's not about checking off that you read the book. It's about mm -hmm. learning from the book. So yeah. I subscribe to the physical book and I write in them. You know, if you read our book, the one thing you'll see that they designed it to have lots of underlines because that's what Gary and my book look like. We write, <laughs> we underline what's important so I can go back and flip through the book and say, what do I need to remember from this book? Mm -hmm. The goal is to implement the knowledge, not just to say I read a book. So yeah. if I listen to audiobooks, I do too. I listen to them while I'm walking my dog. I keep a notes document for every book I read on my phone. And if I hear something great, I just hit pause. My poor dog, you know, it's time for him to smell something on the curb. And I'll just really quickly write what the takeaway was. And then I go back to my walk or you can do it at the end of your walk. But the goal of reading books is to get smarter and not just to be smarter, but to let that new intelligence impact our activities. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell how it's important to write notes? Uh, I remember when Bill Gates shared about uh, his tips, how he is reading books, and he uh, notes uh, interesting points because we have short memory. You know, I can forget uh, for some important things for a few minutes because many other things to do. Uh, it's important, but for a few minutes, I don't remember anything about that. Can you tell about notes? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting point because you mentioned about that uh, and. Uh, you remind me of Bill Gates. Well, um, it's funny. I've got a notebook right here. I just like an mm -hmm. old fashioned notebook. I carry it wherever I go. I've got all of my goals on one page. That is my bookmark in my journal. I'm about mm -hmm. to switch to a small fancy journal. I'm going to see how that works. But I want to have immediate access to writing things down. I like to do it analog because they don't get distracted. But that's me. That's a preference. The point is pick something that you will do and then be consistent. Like I could go mm -hmm. back in time and wish I had adopted Evernote or one of these great programs for taking notes that makes it all searchable. 
years ago, but I didn't. Underneath me, you can't see it. I've got a chest with 22 years of my journals in it. Mm-hmm. And I just I get a magic marker out at the end of them and I put up a sticker and I rate the dates from two. And if I need to go back in time and remember what the lessons I learned were during that period, I can go flip through those journals. So yeah, the, the memory is faulty. So we take notes, not just to say we did it, but actually the act of writing physically, writing it down, increases the likelihood that you will remember something, whether you ever reread it again. That's why I yeah. write the margins on business books. The good news is most business books, there's not a lot to write down. They're one idea book. And that's okay. If I get one great idea and I implement it, it can make me millions of dollars. But yeah. I just try to identify, like I can go behind, I've got a favorite shelf over here of just some of the most important, impactful books. I could go through each of them and say, here are the two or three lessons that I learned from this book. And by the way, usually those are written just inside the cover. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm horrible at remembering details. That's why my wife wins every <laughs> argument I'm ever in, right? She's got perfect recall. I don't. But sometimes if you have an imperfect, I guess, physical ability or mental ability, you can adopt a very simple habit or technique that often will tell you, take you well, well beyond average. I have low average recall for things like the books I read. But because I write down a few things, I am far beyond average in terms of knowing what I need to know from different books and implementing it. Does that make sense? That sometimes oh, so valuable change in <laughs> how we address things takes mm-hmm. us from below average to way beyond average. And the problem is all the average people who can probably remember a little bit, they don't have the same reason to do something different to change their results. So sometimes being a little below average at something actually is an mm-hmm. asset if you act on it. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Uh, especially about implementation. For example, uh, you can read a hundred books how to play soccer, but if you don't play, if you do nothing, you know, it doesn't help you. You know, you can be an expert in your sofa to tell how other uh, soccer players are bad. You know, to take this ball, but you need to play. So yeah, I agree hundred percent because implementation, execution, uh, more important than. Uh, reading, learning, uh, and yeah, uh, I think that uh, I usually s- uh, spend uh, 80% of my time by acting, doing something, than learning. Learning is important, but doing is more important because you can get much better skills by doing something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Love everybody it. points to, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, he spends most of his time reading yeah. and for what he does, having a knowledge advantage matters but he made the vast majority of his wealth on like eight transactions. Mm-hmm. So he's one of those people like a mental athlete where he has to prepare, prepare, prepare. And his decisions when he makes them to buy, to sell can have massive repercussion over decades. That's not the truth for most of us. If you're an entrepreneur, you got to wake up every day. You've got to get new customers. We call it lead generation around here. You're marketing, you're prospecting. You've got to convert them. And you've got to deliver value. And along the way, you have to manage the people side of your business and the financial side. So you've got all these hats. Am I lead generating? Am I lead converting? Am I delivering value? Am I helping my people and managing my staff and growing my culture? And am I following my financial rules so that I'm not just churning revenue? I'm actually earning a profit. So we got we to gotta act. We got to act and do a lot. 
Nice, nice, love it. Okay, let's talk about uh, bringing value. Uh, you mentioned a few times about value. Uh, can you tell how you provide value in your books and uh, give a strong reason, solid reason, why uh, it's important or, or what kind of benefits can I get by reading your books and my audience can get from them? Because I know many people uh, from my audience love reading books. Uh, provide strong reason because we have, uh, you know, uh, not a lot of time. You know, we are busy people, but uh, anyway, we love reading books. So in terms of the value, delivering value, I always go, there was a maxim, read Hastings, a quote, and I, I'm screwing up the quote. So don't quote me as quoting him. But the basic truth is, he said, as a business person, I'd rather be selling aspirin than vitamins. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole idea is that people will choose a service or a product to relieve pain a lot faster than they will to bring some sort of nebulous value, right? Yeah. A vitamin, like I can't tell the difference from hour to hour after I take it. If I have a headache or my arm hurts from my workout and I take some vitamin, I mean, take some aspirin, the pain goes away. So as a business person, that's the way I think. When Gary and I sat down to write, for instance, the one thing, the first question we ask before we write any book is what's the first thing the reader will say when they put it down and what's the first thing they will do differently after reading the book. We have to be very clear. And then we analyze that. Like we wanted people to ask the question, what's my one thing. And we wanted them to then take one step in that direction. And we identified that as the goal of the book and we're like, okay, so how does that become aspirin and not vitamins? And if you read the jacket copy and how we, we position it, most people lack clarity. They don't yeah. really know why they're here, why their business exists. They're chasing all of these different things. They feel very busy, but not very fulfilled. So what we wanted to provide with the one thing was a simple approach that brings daily clarity so that the choices they make stick and they get more results for them. So yeah. instead of just doing a bunch of stuff and coming home in a sweat and your spouse or your partner says, how was your day? You're like, I was really busy. Well, what did you get done? And you're like, I don't know. I sent a lot of emails. I read a lot of emails. I make, you know, like the clarity of what's the one thing I have to do today to get me closer to my goals and knowing exactly what that is. It's not complicated but it's not easy either and we wanted to give people a practical framework to live that idea nice nice yeah uh, uh prevention costs significantly less than uh treatment and uh, i remember when um someone from my team asked me uh do we need to pay for antivirus i told them no no we, we never use them and after that uh for a few months our website was hacked we lost like uh, 100k you know uh for a few months <laughs> to uh and after uh, i got it so i saved 100 dollars uh to take this antivirus and then pay the 100k you know and it's it's not only about me many other people uh, as well you know they say they don't think about uh, prevention think about just treatment because when you have this illness you can uh, pay anything everything what you have uh, the saying in english is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure yeah <laughs> yeah right love it uh let's talk about building wealth uh can you tell 
what it's important to consider uh, to build wealth. Uh, I remember when Gary Vee replied to this question, he told, you think it's about investment? Not, it's more about saving. He saved all money that he can. He couldn't buy a cup of coffee or anything uh, related because he could save some money and invest uh, in the right way. Can you tell about your uh, the, the most important thing you know, uh, to build wealth? We wrote about this in our book, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. And what mm -hmm. I love, Gary and I both come from this philosophy of tell me the most important thing and then put it in an order that I know what step I need to follow. So I'll just preface it. Like I work in the real estate industry. We're very biased. I feel like the most wealth that I see created at the end, not the beginning, is going to be in real estate ownership or business ownership. They have the highest rates of return. They also can come with jobs because they're active ownership of businesses and real estate, and they can come with some risk, but they have the highest level of returns. So I'm going to go all the way to the beginning. The mm -hmm. most important thing that you have to understand for becoming wealthy is why it matters to you. If you just want to be rich and have a fancy car, it's probably not going to give you the motivation to do the hard things that you need to do for many years in order for have that come true. So whenever I'm teaching a wealth workshop, I get people not just to focus on what do you want your life to look at, but what will this do for you? And I usually ask one extra question, Anatoly. So you want to become a millionaire. What does your life look like if you fail? And I want to really have them look hard at, oh, I'll still be fighting with my spouse about money or I'll still be month to month with my bills. I want to remind them of the pain, back to that aspirin versus vitamin conversation of not taking action and have that very clear in their minds. If I don't become wealthy, I'm going to be just like maybe my parents or my uncle that struggled with money their whole life. Focusing on the car or the helicopter to work, that's fancy and funny. That actually isn't what motivates 90% of the people I've interviewed to really do the hard work. Step number two, yeah. I love Gary Vee. If you never save any money, you'll never have any money to invest. Just a fact. So yeah. you have to, I say a little differently, you have to learn to live below your means. If you make, I'm just going to throw out an even number, you make $10,000 a month. You have to learn first to live on $9,999 a month. And then hopefully my wife and I learned how to live on 6,500 of that. We lived on about 65% of our income and we invested the rest. Earlier you are in your life, the younger you are, that you can put big chunks of money into investments that compound over time, whether that be stocks or bonds or real estate or businesses, the longer that timeline has to work in your favor. So figure out why, learn to live within your means, and then invest the difference. And this is where it gets a little complicated. How long do you have before you need to be financially free? For me, I define wealth as having the passive income to finance my life mission without having to work. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to invest in things. And at a certain time in the future, I will be able to live my life on passive income and therefore, I can just purely live whatever my purpose is. And how much do you want? 
my wife and I started off with $75,000 a year as our goal. I'll be honest with you. We got very good at this game and we looked up and we said, well, what would it look like if we had 500,000 a year? Mm -hmm. Now we're asking yeah. the question, what does it look like to have one and a half million a year? And so on and so on. You get to ask bigger questions along the way. We couldn't, we could barely imagine $75,000 a year in the beginning, but that's mm -hmm. where we were. We had $2,000 in net worth. So nice. how long do you have to get the assets that will deliver that? And that determines what the rate of return needs to be. If you've got 10 years, you're probably looking at, if you're at zero today, you need to be investing in assets that will yield 18 to 25% year over year returns to really become wealthy in a short period of time. Yeah. If longer, man, it could be 14 or nine. If you're like, I'm 21 years old, I'm not going to stop working till I'm in my 50s. You've got time to help you compound it. So that's a little bit different. So the habit that we formed starting the very first time, and this was in 2002 that we had this conversation, my wife and I, every single month, we calculate our net worth. Do you know? I'm assuming you know what that means. Should I explain it for your listeners? Of course, of course. Yeah, go so ahead. Just get out a, a spreadsheet or whatever. You add up all of your assets. That's all the things you own that have real value. Your cash, your stocks, your bonds, your house. Like what's the equity in your house? Not, And then you go down and you add up all your liabilities, all the things you owe. What's my credit card debt? Do I have debt against my car, against my house, et cetera, it's for my school? And then you subtract the liabilities from the assets and the bottom line is your net worth. It's like a net income sheet where you have Here's my revenue minus my expenses is my net income. Now I have another sheet of paper. What's my assets minus my liabilities is my net worth. When we started adding that up every single month, well, first off, in the beginning, there wasn't much to add up, right? We had our first house. We had two 401ks and whatever we had in savings and then whatever debt we had. So it was very simple. It just took a few hours. Today, it takes a lot more time to calculate because we own like 11 businesses. We have multiple real estate assets, right? It takes longer, but we still do it. Along the way, you start understanding these are the assets that yield cash. These are the assets that are going up in value. And these are the assets that go down in value. And that makes you very smart. And guess what? Every single month, you know exactly how much cash you have as well. So it makes nice. you conscious of things on all of the spectrum, but it's just one activity. So I always tell people, figure out your why, start living below your means, and then I want you to start tracking your net worth. And we do this with about 25 people. And of those 25, the ones that get stuck with it, I'd say 18, about a fourth of them in a five-year journey have all become millionaires. And some nice. of them started with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. So... It's not easy, but it's not complicated. I'll say that again. Most of big success in life is not complicated. It's just not easy. And we tend to make it yeah. complicated in an effort to make it easy. The truth is you just have to do the hard work. I'm not going to buy that TV. I'm not going to buy a new car. I'm going to drive my beater car for another year and my friends will make fun of me, but I'm going to save money so I can invest in an asset. And that's an act of faith that five, 10 years will have multiplied in value to make me free. 
most people are unwilling to do those things that are not going to pay off till the future. They want the car today. They want the TV today. They want the new shoes today. That's mm-hmm. why you have to go back to my number one thing. If you're not really clear in your heart why this is important to you, you'll sabotage yourself throughout. Now, you're in my soapbox. I love talking about wealth. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm sorry. I just monologued <laughs> on you on your own podcast, but I'm nice. passionate about this. Does that make sense to you? Of course. Good tips. Uh, I'm going to share this episode with my wife, you know, because I have my spreadsheet. Uh, I use Google spreadsheet, you know, to count all my money that I have. Yeah. By the way, I, I'm doing every single day. You know, it's not hard to spend like five minutes to check out, to calculate, to predict, because I know, for example, about my wife, she can spend like uh, 20,000 and don't think about that. Right. You know, just buy some things that we don't need at all. So we are working on that. Uh, okay, let's talk about habits. For example, you know. Well, uh, can, I give you, can I give you one bit of coaching there? Start yeah. doing it with your wife. Ah, There's no yeah, judgment. Just say, hey, I want your help. I'm going to share the spreadsheet with you. And we're going to mm-hmm. alternate turns. And I'll help you do it. But every month. You do it every day. That's more often than I check on my money. I look at it once a week now, Mm -hmm. but I update it once a month and we look at it together. But Wendy and I did that together. So no matter how good your habits are, someone with bad financial habits can undo all of your good work. And I see this in lots of couples, which is why we do a couple's goal setting retreat. We do all these things because if you can get on the same page about where you're going, why it's important, to both of you, to your family, and then y'all can have meaningful discussions around, well, should we spend 20000 on this or not? Or yeah. should we save it to next month? But you can't be your wife's coach. Your job's to be your husband. So <laughs> to do it together, it's delicate balance there, right? Let her experience a mistake and then see what it does to your net worth they start to make the connections. And then when you, once you become partners, it accelerates things amazingly. So valuable. Yeah. Love it. I'm sorry. Uh, I just coached you. Thank you for giving me a permission. <laughs> no, no, it's valuable. Okay. Let's talk about building habits, uh, for example, or change bad habits to good ones. Uh, because, you know, people, for example, understand that uh, eating uh, junk food is not healthy. They know about smoking, drinking, many other stuff. Uh, or watching TV or playing online games, it doesn't help. And they know it's bad, but you need to develop these good habits. They know that good habits are good, but they still doing bad habits. Can you tell from your experience how to change this attitude to uh, building good habits? Well, we studied this for almost four and a half years to write the one thing. So It's not like atomic habits where it breaks it down like an engineer would into minute detail. And that's a great book I recommend people listen to or read, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm -hmm. What we learned is it takes about 66 days on average to build a habit. And we encourage people, we've taught this to tens of thousands of people now through our training. Start small. Like, Figure out what you want to have happen. I'd like to become the kind of person that, uh, give me a habit that you want someone to form. Uh, Let's smoking. Okay. If someone want to break smoking. So I would start, and this is actually, I've cheated before. I've talked to a psychologist about this. I want you to build the habit 
for the next 66 days of consciously writing down every day exactly how many cigarettes you smoke. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we know is when people become aware of a habitual activity, they start to exert more control over it. So I, had to, I used to smoke a long time ago. So one of the first things my, my, my coach got me to do is start counting the cigarettes. Well, guess what? I knew I had to report back on what those were. So I chose not to smoke sometimes when I wanted to, or when I was just opening up a cigarette without thinking about it. It's like, you know what? I'm going to save that cigarette for after the meal instead of just <laughs> boredom, mindless activity. So you get awareness and then I would start paring it down. I'd be like, you know, how can I replace this bad habit with a positive habit? You know how I quit smoking? After getting aware of it, I decided to commit to a marathon. Yeah. And I ran a marathon. I trained for it for three months. And let me tell you, when you run 14 miles on a Saturday, <laughs> I was not craving cigarettes. So I tried to, the, the research says it's harder to stop a bad habit than it is to build a new habit. Mm -hmm. so I would rather replace like, what does that do for me? Right. What is that? So I, I, I replaced cigarettes with mints like, okay, I've got this oral thing I've got to do. So I'm just going to do this. I'm going to put a, a cinnamon mint and every time I want a cigarette when I'd actually gotten on the other side and I wanted to run. So I would go out and I'd make myself run and I fell off the wagon a few times, but I managed to do it. So I would just say that's one of the hardest habits in the world to break. And it's incredibly mm -hmm. addictive and I want to give everyone grace. But building a habit starts with getting very clear on the activity. I would tell you to start very small because usually if you just get started, you tend to do a lot more than you expect. Uh, BJ Fogg is an amazing scientist and behavior guy. He got 10,000 people to start flossing their teeth. And the goal was, after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. <laughs> and it doesn't even make sense. Like, why do I floss one tooth? And he goes, 90% of flossing your teeth is picking up the tooth floss. And if you mm -hmm. floss one, you're probably going to floss them all. Or at least you don't break your own momentum. You know, I did it today. I did the minimum. Tomorrow I'll do better. And building and keeping momentum matters a lot more psychologically than we think. That's why this start with the smallest domino is our language. Use the smallest thing that you can do and then build on that habit. Yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, uh, I replaced my bad habit to watch overwatch TV uh, just by reading books now. Yeah, uh, it's close, it's similar. And when I read books, I get the same experience and I got an even better experience. Just oh. you need to reading build this It's so good for your mind. You know, especially getting your kids for them to see you reading books instead mm -hmm. of watching TV or playing video games. That's great parenting if you've got kids. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about uh, patience. Uh, I see when uh, people are impatient, uh, they wanna get quick results, uh, and they give up because they can't get results. Uh, I know that many people, even Gary V, mentioned that he spent like seven years uh, from 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. Uh, on Twitter just to build his network. That was not for uh, a few days, months. It took years. Can you tell about patience? Because uh, content creators give up all the time. You know, for example, I, uh, in one study, I found that 50% uh, of people don't record the second episode. 
because yeah. they can't get results from the first one. I don't know how to get results from the first episode because I got my best sponsorship uh, after uh, recording like uh, 100 episodes. Uh, right. Yeah, after that I got HRFs, CRN, and many others who can pay me for my uh, activity. Tell about patience, Paul. <laughs> well, it's a, there's a great study called the Marshmallow Test. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. So it was, it was an experiment done on, I think the kids were like four or five years old. And the researchers gave them a marshmallow. And they also had a choice of a cookie or something else. But the marshmallow is what caught on. And they said, if you cannot eat this marshmallow for, you know, three minutes, you get to have two. <laughs> and then they videotaped the kids. And the kids, I mean, if you look this up, it's one of the funniest videos you'll ever see. I mean, they're just dying. And they're like, they'll break <laughs> off little pieces and start cheating. Like, it's so, like, you know, just in a few minutes, if I can just not do this, I'll get twice as much. And so that in itself was a wonderful human experiment. Well, the interesting thing, I think the doctor's name was Michelle. Um, M-I-C-H-E-L. It's like a French name. And his, his daughter was one of the subjects. And so he kind of was following her classmates throughout the years. And about, I guess, 15 years later, they're going off to college. He had the idea, let's check in on all of those kids. The kids that were able to resist the temptation to eat the marshmallow and get the second reward. So they were able to delay gratification, had lower rates of addiction, lower rates of obesity, higher grade point averages, like You just go through the list. So without a doubt, if we can find a way to delay our gratification, the rewards are enormous. And in wealth building, the number one rule of wealth founding, like if, if you are investing in something that compounds is don't interrupt the compounding. Do not visit yeah. your money, right? Don't, don't sell it and then look at it and pay taxes on it and then try to put it back to work. If your money is working hard, do not interrupt it. But impatient people do it all the time. They want to spend some of it. They want to do this thing. So, oh gosh, I I'm going to go back again. If you're very clear about the journey and why it's important to you on a deep, like, like this is my one thing. Like, I want to make an impact. First, I wanted to be financially free. And my wife and I got very, very clear. We never wanted to work for someone who we didn't want to work for. Like I've interviewed people in my businesses that cry in the parking lot before they go into work. They hate their job. Yeah. They hate their employer, but they feel trapped. And I never, ever wanted to be there. And that's why $75,000 a year, that was our goal. I just said, if we have 75,000, I mean, I can wait tables or bartend and we will make ends meet, but we will never be trapped in a job. So we were very clear why we had to wait So I think most people, I mean, ADHD, like, I mean, like if you need pharmaceutical help to avoid your impulse control, that's different. Most people just aren't really clear about why it's worth waiting. Like our brains do not understand compounding. They see linear. So mm -hmm. compounding does not make sense to us as, as, a, as a, the human ape. So it really takes self-control, but it is a huge determinant of who gets to be at the very top. So if you really are clear about why you want to be wealthy or be, you know, have all of the really, really exceptional things, you've got to choose to either bring accountability 
be submit yourself to a coach, right? I work out regularly because I have a coach come knock on my door. <laughs> we were going to go to the gym, but I was like, how much more would it cost for us? If we were splitting it originally. If the coach would come to our door and like literally show up at our house at five 30 in the morning. So mm -hmm. I, I don't really have an opportunity to roll over and go back to sleep because he's right there. Like come into <laughs> the gym. And if you make me wait for you, I'm going to make you do more burpees. So you can design your life around accountability, right? So I could give you a thousand tricks, like how not to tap into your money, all of these things. A lot of it is putting barriers between ourselves and our bad impulses, right? And bringing accountability into our lives and clarity about why it matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. 70% uh, of people hate their jobs, according to a few studies. Uh, yeah, so sad, so sad. Yeah, you know, when you share uh, this valuable insights, I see passion, you know, you, you love what you do. You love uh, to share this value. Can you tell for someone who doesn't know uh, how to find uh, passion? Because, you know, uh, for example, uh, my passion is to play tennis, soccer, basketball, but I can't get money with that, you know. Uh, I'm also passionate about marketing. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I think, you know, many people can't find this passion. That's why they choose uh, jobs that they hate uh, and uh, yeah, go ahead with that. It brings unhappiness. Can you provide your insight how to find this passion? Sure. Um, we studied this again for the One Thing book. We said the foundation of everything is a sense of purpose. So we found that the people that had the most personal and professional success in the businesses all had kind of a foundation of purpose. I think a lot of people look for passion and passion is much more fleeting than purpose. You know, you're really into tennis now, but maybe it's pickleball today, right? Yeah. We, we, we tend to kind of our strongest passions don't always last as long. Um, and it's not always indicative of what will, from a wealth building standpoint, will yield the most money. Whereas we found in all the research supports that if you have a deep sense of purpose, you tend to get fulfillment, which is different than happiness or all those things from your progress. You actually get more fulfillment from making progress towards your big goals than you do achieving them, which is completely counterintuitive to me. But making progress towards a big purpose-bound goal is really, really important. The challenge for a lot of people is they've never sat down and thought long enough to ask the question, why am I here? And that's a big question and it's scary. Mm -hmm. So I usually step back a little bit and say, let's just identify your core values. Your core values can be a little bit of an indicator of what's important to you. Mine are family impact and abundance, right? I don't want to make choices that move me away from my family. I want the choices I make to deliver impact I want to make an impact. And I, I'll tell you, it almost needs to be impact family in abundance because I make more decisions based on my desire to make an impact than anything else. And then abundance represents, I want to create abundance with what I do for me, my family, and for other people, right? I don't want to be playing a zero-sum game where I win and you lose. There are other choices out there, and I want to play games that have that exponential benefit to them. And mm -hmm. so I'm very clear. And if something that is going to take a lot of my time or my energy or my resources, if it doesn't score a nine out of 10 on all three of those, it's a no. 
Yeah. Sometimes I look up and I've already said yes. And I'm like, well, crap, this is taking me away from my family. It's not going to have the impact I wanted. And boy, it's not like I can see that it's a five, five, five. I then try to remove myself if I can do it. So there's a lot of exercises. We actually created, um, there's a company out there called Best Self Company. And I know the founder and we created the core values deck. It's mm-hmm. it's not unique to us. It's an actual psychology exercise that's in the, the public domain. Oh, I hear somebody's dog saying hello. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. It's real. This is all happening in real time. But um, yeah. it's a simple exercise that you can do um, to walk through, identify your core values. And then I usually tell people, now date them a little while, right? Write mm-hmm. them down at the top of, I showed you my goal sheet at the very top of it. You can't read it, but it says family impact and abundance. So when I look at my goals every day and I try to remind myself of my values so that I'm making great decisions around my goals that honor my values. I think that is getting us in the direction that you want us to go. That'll get us towards purpose. Like if I'm pursuing my values for a long time, at some point, you know, like Elon Musk, I want to provide a second chance for humanity if the earth goes away. Like, so I'm going to make everything I'm doing aim towards how do we live on Mars or whatever it is. Like, I think that's his big purpose statement, but that takes time. I think you have to date those values, refine them. They might change a little bit. But I do love them because they give you a compass. Does this align with my values or not? That helps you say yes or no to things. And frankly, I don't want to live a life where I'm having to say yes because it makes me money, but it doesn't align to my values, which goes down to the very beginning of my journey with my wife. I wanted to go to Hell Fund. I never wanted to work for a bad boss or work in a horrible industry. I wanted to build my wealth so I could make better choices with my time. Love it. Yeah, so encouragement. Love it. So valuable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I have the final question. Uh, sure. Let's imagine you, you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today uh, to build your wealth? I think I would have been braver about investing in businesses earlier. And we don't mm-hmm. really invest in them. We just save up money and start them. So we were about six or seven years into our journey before we launched our first business. And um, what's great about small businesses is that if you're successful, you learn a lot of great skills, but they can generate a lot of cash flow that you can then invest. So we lived on my salary the entire Mm -hmm. time. We still try to keep our lifestyle in that boundary and the money we make from the other things allows us to have our fun fund and our investment. So I guess for 10 or 12 years, everything my wife made from that first business, either we reinvested in the business to make it go faster, or we used it to pay down our debts or buy assets. And we just tried to keep my lifestyle, our lifestyle around my salary. My salary was going up, right? I was being, I was a decent employee. I'm still here. So, but it doesn't go up fast like business income can. So we just kind of use that strategy. So be braver earlier. But I mean, I'm, I told you, I'm an English French major. This was all very new. I just, I'm proud of myself for going to my wife and saying, I'd interviewed 120 millionaires in one year. That's what started this whole thing for us. I was like, do you want to do this? Do you want to start? <laughs> do you want to become an investor? 
And she goes, sure, why not? She's an adventurous one. I'm not. But it was very scary back then. And we took baby steps. I kind of wish we'd been braver and, and ventured in some of the things that magnified our success a little earlier. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks, uh, Jay. It's a big pleasure to get my show to learn from you. Uh, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. I would tell them, well, first, my name, Jay Papazan. I think there's only one on the whole planet. So they can Google me and find me. I can't hide. Um, but most of the stuff we talked about is going to be at theonething.com. Uh, if they go to theonething.com with the number one, there's a free resource for doing a goal setting retreat with your spouse, which I brought up um, that can lead you into our podcast. I know that we did one, uh, Gary and I did a whole season of think like a CEO on wealth building. So there's stuff out there that hopefully they can tap into. Um, it's all free. Um, I would love it if they bought our books, but that's not required because I'm here to make an impact. I would like them to start making more informed choices about their life. And if they took all of that for free, I bet they would tell people about me later on and somebody would buy the book somewhere along the way. And I'm happy with that outcome. Yeah, love it, love it. Guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Welcome back anytime and to share more value. Guys, you need to follow Jay. You need to read his books because you can see a lot of valuable insights. Love you. See you.